Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 6, 2014. This week, I'll begin by discussing a House Ways and Means Committee markup of several bills that are part of Chairman Kemp's effort to make certain tax extenders a permanent part of the tax code. I say permanent, indefinite might be a better word. I also have some sad news about the potential for change to gap accounting for non-low-income housing tax credit investments. In our new markets tax credit segment, I'll discuss a report from the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority, or WIDA, a report about how tax credit projects have provided jobs and support to emerging businesses. I'll also discuss a new law in Mississippi that requires the state to evaluate the effectiveness of its tax incentive programs. In this week's low-income housing tax credit section, I address the cancellation of a markup of the Johnson Crapo bill that would phase out Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. I'll also reveal the results of a Government Accountability Office report on the Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I share good news about the extension of the Mississippi Historic Tax Credit and information about an Iowa bill that would improve the use of the state's historic tax credits. And finally, in Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I share a report about how policy mechanisms are affecting renewable energy production in the United States. I also have another legislative update from Iowa. This one is about a bill that would extend the project completion deadline for the state's energy generation tax credit. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, I begin with the results of last Tuesday's Ways and Means Committee markup of permanent tax policies. The committee meeting was the first of what promises to be many votes to convert some tax extenders into permanent parts of the tax code. As I mentioned, I say permanent, but indefinite is probably a more accurate term. The committee did not mark up any bills, though, that include the new market tax credit, the long housing tax credit, or historic tax credit, nor renewable energy tax credits. And I note that the committee voted to make permanent six business incentive programs without providing any offsets for the lost revenue from the permanent extensions. Now, as we look to future markups, we'll closely monitor the potential for a Ways and Means vote to make the new market tax credit and the 9% Lugmasin tax credit percentage floor permanent. After the hearing, Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp called short-term tax policy bad for business, economic growth, and jobs. He called the policies the first step of comprehensive tax reform that will lower rates and make the tax code simpler and fairer. Now, I don't expect any of the six tax provisions that the Ways and Means Committee voted to make permanent will actually become a permanent part of the tax code this year. I should note, though, that tax extender legislation next week 
is expected to come to the full Senate floor. The bill is the Expire Act of 2014, and it's the tax extender legislation that passed out of committee a few weeks ago. Although, like I said last week, while such a bill might pass the Senate, I don't expect such a bill to become law until after the November elections. We'll continue following the tax reform debate, and we'll bring you updates as conditions warrant. And as a closing note regarding the House, remember, Chairman Camp isn't seeking another term. So in less than eight months, the Republican effort for tax reform in the House will be led by someone else. In other news, I have a rather disappointing development from the Emerging Issues Task Force. The Financial Accounting Standards Board, or FASB, has removed from their agenda, which means they'll no longer be considering whether to extend the use of the below-the-line proportional amortization method to renewable energy, new markets, or historic tax credits. As you probably recall, FASB authorized using the proportional amortization method of accounting for low-income tax credit investments late last year. FASB agreed to let low-income tax credit investments be classified as investments and not deferred tax assets, and, most importantly, report investment amortization expense below the line within the income tax provision of the income statement where tax credits are already reported. At that time, the EITF had discussed allowing other types of tax credit investments to use that method as well. On December 11th last year, however, the board decided that the change would only apply to low-income housing tax credits, but the board would study the new market tax credit, renewable energy tax credit, and historic tax credit to see if the change should also apply to those credits. Well, last week, we learned that the board voted to remove historic new markets and renewable energy tax credits from its future agenda. This is disappointing, to say the least. We had hoped that the board would approve changes for these tax credits this year. The changes to the low-income housing tax credit will have a positive effect on affordable housing investments, and I'd like to see the same effect for other tax credit investments. Now, if you're wondering about next steps, FASB is expected to address accounting for government grants in future guidance. Now is the time to organize a group to help advise FASB on that guidance and to make every effort to include accounting for government-provided tax credits as part of that larger guidance project. Now, if you're interested in participating in a leadership role in that effort, please contact my partner, Bentley Stanton, in our Atlanta, Georgia office. In New Marcus Tax Credit News, the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority, or WIDA, just released a new performance report on its tax credit awardees. The report found that tax credit developers in Wisconsin have invested more than $35 million in emerging businesses between 2011 and 2013. Emerging businesses are those businesses that are small in scale or are economically disadvantaged. WIDA encourages its tax credit awardees to use emerging businesses for hard planning, design, and construction costs. It also encourages developers to create local jobs. The report found that one new market tax credit project, the Marriott Milwaukee Hotel, led to an investment of nearly $4 million in emerging business contracts. 
the development created 42 local jobs. The other 27 transactions studied in the report were low-income housing tax credit developments. They created 260 local jobs and generated $31.4 million in emerging business contracts. We just said these investments are helping jumpstart local communities. You can find a copy of the report entitled WIDA Emerging Business Performance Report at www.wida.com. For information about new market tax credit programs in your state, please contact my partner, Nat Stevenson, at our Cleveland, Ohio office. She can be reached at 216-298-9000. In other new market tax credit news, I'd like to discuss a recently passed bill in Mississippi. The bill requires the state to analyze the effectiveness of state-level tax incentives. This includes tax incentives like tax credit programs, exemptions and deductions, and economic development programs that use the proceeds of state general obligation bonds. The University Research Center will work with a number of state agencies to properly evaluate these tax incentives. I'd like to highlight just a few of the criteria that programs will be evaluated on. A baseline assessment of the tax incentive. This assessment includes the number of aggregate jobs committed and created, the number of taxpayers granted the tax incentive during the previous year, and an estimate of the revenues that were the direct and indirect result of the incentive. The analysis of the programs enacted before July 1, 2014 must be completed by December 31, 2015, and the programs will be reanalyzed every four years. Now, for incentive programs created after July 1, 2014, the first analysis needs to be completed within five years of taking effect. And this analysis would then continue no less than once every four years. To read this House bill, it's House Bill 1365, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. The bill is entitled Economic Development Programs and Tax Incentives Evaluation Act of 2014. And to learn more about your state's New Markets Tax Credit programs, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. You can click on Related Programs and go to State NMTC Programs. And I also encourage you to contact Annette Stevenson as well regarding State New Market Tax Credits. She's in our Cleveland, Ohio office, and I gave you her phone number a few minutes ago. In the local housing tax credit news, I begin with an update on the Housing Finance Reform and Taxpayer Protection Act of 2014. The bill was scheduled to be discussed during the Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Executive Session on April 29th. However, Senate Banking Committee Chair Tim Johnson and Ranking Member Mike Crapo announced a delay in the Committee's scheduled markup of the bill. The decision to delay the hearing was made to give Committee members time to work out additional issues. Senator Johnson said in a press release that the delay would be used to build more support for the bill. Senators Johnson and Crape are working to get a large majority of committee members to vote for the bill. Such a vote could help persuade Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid to bring the bill to the Senate floor later this year. Senators Johnson and Crapo said the committee would recess the markup indefinitely. Now the primary goal of Senate Bill 1217 is to wind down and eliminate Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. A federal mortgage insurance corporation would be established in their place. It's not currently known when the markup will resume. 
To learn more about Senate Bill 1217, I encourage you to contact Peter Lawrence, Director of Public Policy and Government Affairs at Novograd & Company. To read a copy of Senate Bill 1217, go to www.taxcreditthousing.com. Now, another local tax credit news, the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, released a new report on the Rental Assistance Demonstration, or RAD, program. RAD is administered by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Among other things, it allows expiring tenant-based vouchers to convert into project-based vouchers. Essentially, it preserves the affordability of housing units. The report found that as of March 2014, HUD had approved project-based voucher funding for more than 8,000 units. Of these, about 6,700 units had their rental assistance converted to project-based vouchers through RAD. RAD conversions, I note, have not had a major effect on the ratio of project-based vouchers to total vouchers. The percentage of project-based vouchers compared to all vouchers increased from about 3.5% to a mere 3.8% because of RAD. The GAO also said that conversions will not affect voucher program costs. That's because HUD uses the same budget calculations for project-based vouchers as tenant protection vouchers. The report is timely because in the next few years, rental assistance contracts will expire for about 38,000 affordable housing units. A copy of the report, titled HUD Rental Assistance Demonstration, Information on Initial Conversions to Project-Based Vouchers, can be found at www.hudresourcecenter.com. And to learn more about the RAD program, please contact my partner David Conway in our Dover, Ohio office. David can be reached at 330-365-5400. In historic tax credit news, I have something good to report out of Mississippi. The governor has signed an extension of the state's historic tax credit. As I mentioned in a couple of previous podcasts, the Mississippi historic tax credit was set to expire at the end of this year. A bill was introduced to extend the credit, but then it died in committee. When that happened, the only way for the credit to be available after December 31 was for someone to attach an extension to an existing unrelated bill. This unlikely event occurred after historic preservation advocates petitioned lawmakers and the lieutenant governor to allow an extension to be added to an existing bill. Well, that bill easily passed the state legislature. The governor signed it on April 24th. And now, the tax credit program has been extended until December 31, 2017. This tax credit extension is a great example of the importance of advocating for tax credits. My understanding is that unrelated provisions are almost never added to bills in Mississippi. And and news reports from when the original bill died in March indicated it was highly unlikely that the tax credit would be extended in this legislative session. Yet... Historic preservation advocates issued reports on the effectiveness of the credit and rallied representatives to the cause. The result of their hard work was a three-year extension of the credit. I'd like to congratulate everyone involved in the extension effort. And if you'd like to learn more about the extension effort, check out the March 25th and April 22nd episodes of the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. You can find them online at www.novaco.com slash podcast. For additional assistance, 
please reach out to Mike Kressig in our St. Louis, Missouri office. In other historic tax credit news, I'd like to discuss a new bill out of Iowa that fine-tunes the state's historic preservation tax credit. The credit is a 25% credit for eligible commercial properties, owner-occupied residential properties, and barns. The credit is capped at $45 million per year. The goal of the proposed legislation is to improve the ability of the Department of Cultural Affairs, or DCA, to distribute the tax credits. To achieve this, the bill would do three primary things. One, it would eliminate the current lottery-based reservation system. The new application process would allow DCA to allocate tax credits to projects that are shovel-ready and have their financing stack in order. Two, the bill would transition the program from a three-year reservation system to a use-when-ready system. To date, DCA has awarded tax credit reservations earlier in the development process. Under the new bill, it would not award credit reservations to development until it was ready to begin construction. This would minimize the number of credits that get awarded but are never used, according to the DCA. Finally, the bill would improve the predictability of the review process for the applicants. DCA would require applicants to do more planning before the state makes a financial commitment to the project. This would include pre-application meetings between DCA and the developer to discuss the scope of the project and identify the building's key historical features. If passed into law, the bill would become effective on July 1, 2014. Now, at the time of this recording, the bill had passed both the House and the Senate and was merely waiting for the governor's signature. To learn more about House File 2453, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. And for other questions regarding state historic tax credits, reach out to Tom Bosha in our Cleveland, Ohio office. Turning to renewable energy tax credit news, I'd like to discuss a white paper that was released recently by the U.S. Partnership for Renewable Energy Finance. The report discusses the policy mechanisms that affect renewable energy projects in the United States. It then goes on to analyze the effect that these policies have had on private sector investment. The report says that the U.S. has implemented a number of policies that have tr attracted a significant amount of private capital to the renewable energy industry. It backs up this claim by saying more than $300 billion was invested in the U.S. renewable energy sector from 2004 to 2013. $36 billion of this $300 billion was invested in 2013. Strong policy has driven investment in industry growth, and as a result, the production costs have decreased dramatically. Wind and solar voltaic have reduced their respective equipment costs by more than 40% and 80% over the past four years, according to the white paper. This has led to an increase in job creation. For instance, the solar industry experienced a nearly 20% growth in employment from 2012 to 2013. That's 10 times the national average. The report also discusses how public policy has affected the production tax credit and the investment tax credit. It says that the deployment and innovation in the wind industry has allowed for a 90% reduction in the cost of wind power since 1980. Now, this is largely due to the production tax credit. Furthermore, in the last four years, wind energy costs have decreased by more than 40%, largely due to stable policy and technological advancements. 
While strong policy has helped the renewable energy sector grow, recent questions regarding the status of the production tax credit have unfortunately hampered industry growth. For example, the late extension of the production tax credit in 2012 contributed to a 92% reduction in new wind installations. And furthermore, with the production tax credit expiring, new installations are expected to fall to 2.5 gigawatts in 2016. That's about a 6 gigawatt drop in production from 2015 projections. On the investment tax credit side, the multi-year extension of the residential and commercial solar investment tax credit has helped solar installations grow by more than 3,000 percent since 2006. The U.S., more particularly, has installed more than 4,700 megawatts of solar PV in 2013, up more than 40 percent from the prior year, 2012, and nearly 15 times the amount installed in 2008. The recent change regarding commenced construction language is expected to provide more certainty and flexibility to utility-scale solar, according to the white paper. This is the change in commencement of construction language for production tax credits where you then can opt to claim the solar tax credit. Now, the Solar Energy Industries Association predicts that a change in the language to reflect commenced construction for your general solar investment tax credit investments would yield an additional 4,000 megawatts of electric generation capacity in 2017 and 2018. Finally, the white paper discusses how this policy uncertainty has allowed the market to adapt and use new financial models to finance renewable energy development. These new financial structures include yield codes, green bonds, securitization financing, and master limited partnerships, or MLPs. You heard a lot about those if you attended our recent renewable energy tax credit conference here in San Francisco a few weeks ago. Now to learn more about these new financial models and to read the report entitled Renewable Energy Finance Market and Policy Overview, go to www.uspref.org. And if you have any specific questions about renewable energy development, I encourage you to contact my partner, Tony Grappone, in our Boston office. I'll close today's episode with a state-level update from Iowa. The Iowa House has passed a bill that would extend the project completion deadline for the state energy generation tax credit. The bill extends the completion deadline from January 1, 2015 to January 1, 2017. This should enable more projects to qualify for the credit. Another provision extends a 10-year operational tax credit for these projects through the end of 2026. The bill applies to wind energy projects and other renewables awarded Iowa state production tax credits. The House bill, Senate file 2343, passed with a vote of 91 to 4 in favor. At the time of this recording, the bill had been sent to the governor for signature. You can find a copy of the legislation at www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. And as always, please share your comments about the podcast with me. Simply send an email to cpas at novaco.com. This is Michael Novogratik. I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. 
Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.